You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with them. If your accuser or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison, truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a person with lust has already committed adultery with them in their heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make one hair on your head white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the gospel of the Lord. We set the preaching schedule over a, a month ago when I first arrived and Pastor Mark walked into my office and I said, what are we going to do for February? And he said, well, you're going to walk in and you're going to preach on February 12th and then you're going to have a baby. I said, that's a bold prediction. It's worked out pretty well. You know, over the past month, I've had the opportunity to sit down with many of you, whether it be in one-on-ones or in a small group, and it's been a great joy to sit down, to get to know folks more, to hear your stories. And I have no agenda in these meetings other than to listen, to learn, to begin building relationships. We've met at Giacomo's, we've met in my office, we've gone for walks, we've done all sorts of things. At these meetings, though, I do have one question that I like to ask each person. What are your hopes for Cross of Grace? I might ask it in different ways. What direction do you think the church is headed in? What changes, if any, do you hope for? 
Where do you see Cross of Grace? Where do you see this community in 5, 10, 20 years? It's a simple question, but it has given me a fuller picture of us, of this community, than I had just a month ago. Some talked of structural change, a pavilion for outdoor worship, or expanding our food pantry. Others emphasized continuing to be a welcoming place for all people, especially our neighbors in the LGBTQ community. Someone, someone, and I, I won't name names, but someone mentioned a dog park, which I was thrilled about. Everyone's answers were different, but nearly all had a common theme, a shared hope, growth, a desire to see the church or a specific ministry or a specific demographic within our community continue to grow. But there has been a lot of concern about Christianity and growth in the church over the past few years, and the pandemic has only exacerbated this worry. Pew Research Center released a report in September of last year on this very topic. And from their findings, there was one, predict one prediction in particular that sounded the alarm for folks. Namely, that Christianity will no longer be the majority religion as early as 2070. The primary reason for this change is what this report called religious switching. That's voluntary changes in religious affiliation. And the biggest switch is not from Methodist to Lutheran or Catholic to Evangelical. The biggest change is from Christian to no religious affiliation at all better known as the infamous nuns. The study estimates that between the ages of 15 and 29, 31% of Americans who were raised Christian will become religiously unaffiliated. And churches all across the country, not just Lutheran, are feeling the effects. Attendance is down across the board, regardless of denomination, some more than others, with the biggest drop in attendance and affiliation coming from my own generation. And it's not just the church. Nearly all voluntary associations, whether it be scouts to labor unions to service organizations, they're all struggling with this same problem. So what's the answer? You probably wonder, what's the solution? How do we grow, both as a local congregation and for the church across the country? Well, oddly enough, there's no course in seminary that tells you how to grow post-pandemic. However, on the one hand, there are countless books and articles written on church growth. It could fill this sanctuary from the floor to the ceiling. It's hard to know where to begin. But in my opinion, most of this literature couldn't imagine where we find ourselves today. Still reeling with loss from a pandemic, 
deeply divided country politically and socially, and more people than ever choosing not to leave just the church, but all of faith. On the other hand, there are thousands of articles written on church growth post-pandemic. And most of them are titled something like, Seven Things That Will Drive Future Church Growth. Growing churches post-pandemic will do these five things, or eight keys to church growth. And some of these ideas are helpful. Carrie Newhoff writes that future growth may come from both a great in-person experience and a strong presence online because whether we like it or not, our YouTube page and website are our new front door. Yet, a lot of stuff that's written, in my humble opinion, is junk. One person writes, create a welcoming and friendly environment. Every church thinks they have that. Another person wrote, refuse to settle for mediocre. What church would say otherwise? No one goes around saying, yeah, we're pretty mediocre. Why don't you come join us? My deeper concern in all of these steps and key things to do is that it turns a church's planning and focus inward. Here is how we get bigger. Here is how we'll get as many people as that non-denom church up the road. As if the sole existence of the local congregation is to grow in size. As if the spotlight should be on the church, revealing how great we are, instead of the church being the spotlight, revealing how great God is. In other words, questions and plans and goals around growth can easily shift a church's focus on themselves. And they quite literally become turned in on themselves. The church in Corinth had their own problems and concerns, some not all that different than our own. The early church was full of rivalries and questions about whether teachings from Paul or Apollos were better. They too struggled in navigating what it meant to be the church and how to grow in such an uncertain time. And here is where Paul offers great insight not only for the church in Corinth, but for us today. He says, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned. I planted, Apollos watered, but only God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, if that's not good news for the church today, then I don't know what is. Because it means that growth for this community and the revival of the church across the country is not ultimately up to us. It is God's work. 
It means that growth doesn't come from a six-step plan or from a great website. This isn't a field of dreams moment where if we build the right programs or teach the right curriculums, families will magically come out of the cornfields. It's not that simple. What it does mean is that God will work through our best efforts or even in spite of them. Because God gives the growth. I want to be clear, though, that this does not let us off the hook. It's not as if we do nothing and expect growth. No, God gives the growth and does so by choosing to work with us and through us. We are the planters, the waterers, the co-workers of God, the partners in mission who have a common purpose. And here that purpose is clear. Offering grace with no strings attached. And although this season we are in is difficult, it's also the most opportune time to plant and to water seeds of hope and love and community and grace because the need is prevalent. And from my view, from how I see these things, we're doing that here. We are teeming with new life. Seeds that have been planted are beginning to sprout and there are buds that are waiting to bloom. Like the 10 mothers and counting who have signed up for our new moms group. The increasing energy and excitement around Grace Quest. If you haven't felt that, I invite you to venture down into this hallway after this service. The seeds of relief and change we will plant through our building and outreach fund. The many new families curious about who we are and the mission we share. And while I may not care for all of the articles on steps and five keys of things to do, there are things that will aid our planting and watering. One of them is speaking compellingly about the gospel and the mission we share. Especially to people who are not religiously affiliated, the, the nuns. Many of you know how to do this, though, because I've heard you do it. You did it at Advent dinners. You've done it in all of our one-on-one -on -one meetings or just in passing. Continue to do that when you leave this place. Secondly, we keep our focus outward on serving our neighbors, especially those who are struggling, even though the temptation is to turn inward. And lastly, it's imperative that we join together in prayer. Praying for our new ministries, praying for new leaders to emerge, for the people and families looking for community and a place to experience God. We pray that we are united and passionate about our mission, discerning all together how and where God is leading. So how do we grow? We plant, we water, 
we labor and we pray, hoping and trusting all the while that God gives the growth, not only to this church, but to the whole body of Christ. Amen.